This is NBC Nightly News with Jane Pauley. And good evening. The sequel to Star Wars is here. It's called The Empire Strikes Back. And George Lewis has the story. This wasn't your usual Hollywood premiere. This premiere, a benefit, was for children. The actors featured in The Empire Strikes Back were also there, posing for pictures and signing autographs. But as any Star Wars addict knows, it's not the actors, it's the special effects that steal the show. And a lot of people have been wondering whether the producers could top the technical razzle-dazzle of the original Star Wars. They have. The movie is filled from beginning to end with elaborate special effects such as this battle between the good guys and the bad guys armed with huge walking tanks. Go now. All right, coming in. And in the final moments of the movie, a lightsaber duel between number one bad guy Darth Vader and number one good guy Luke Skywalker. The movie is pure escapism, no big social message. But these days, with the way the world is, there's a lot to escape from. So it's a good bet that many Americans this spring will be going to that galaxy long ago and far, far away. George Lewis, NBC News, at the Kennedy Center in Washington. And that's our report tonight. Jessica Savage will be here tomorrow night. I'm Jane Pauley, back Monday morning on Today. Until then, good night. The first camper arrived at the Cinerama on University Avenue shortly after noon on Tuesday. By nine at night, the line encompassed several dozen people. The all-night vigil ends Wednesday morning at 11, when these people finally get to buy tickets to the first showing of The Empire Strikes Back. Do you think this is going to be as big as Star Wars? Bigger! Yeah, bigger! Bigger! And yet a lot of the critics are panning it. Well, what do they know? Are you going to be missing any classes by being out here? Yes. <laughs> that doesn't bother you? No. The Empire is worth it, huh? Right. right. What are you expecting from this one that Star Wars didn't give you? Uh, build, on the character, build on the characterizations, hopefully. When Star Wars premiered at the Valley Circle Theater a couple of years ago, it had a run of 15 months. The manager of the Cinerama expects Empire to make it through Christmas at least. Most of these people think it'll be going strong much longer than that. Dave Cohen, News 8. Opening night is a special moment in a filmgoer's life. It's one that can be life-changing and long-remembered. Whether it's waiting in line for a few minutes or for a few hours, or sometimes a few days, and the friends and family members that joined you. Maybe someone was taking you to see a particular film, or maybe you were taking someone dear to your heart. Maybe you were being dragged to a movie about which you knew nothing. Or it was one you had waited years to see, and now that opening night was finally upon you. There are flickers of images, ones for all of our senses that we remember. Conversations with those around you as you discuss the possibilities of what was to come and what you'd hope to see that evening. 
The rush of excitement as the doors finally opened and an attendee tore a ticket and shoved half of it into your outstretched hand as you kept walking. The wave of sound from the crowd. The overwhelming smell of popcorn churning in butter. The energy and bustle of those walking in the same direction as you. Your heart pounding in the best possible way. Entering the dimly lit theater through two small doors as you said goodbye to the outside world for the next few hours. Following the tiny lights outlining the aisles that directed you to your seats. The noise level in the theater rising as people settle in. Comment on whatever's in front of the view on the screen and take part in the last minute conversations. And suddenly, everything settles for a moment as the lights lower and the audience realizes the movie is about to begin. The final burst of excitement as the previews wind through the reel and project onto the screen. The familiar promotions for refreshments and a call for silence and courtesy through the film. The final glance you share with your friend, your date, a loved one, or a complete stranger randomly sitting next to you. It's a glance that says, are you ready? Here we go. Sometimes, something magical happens. Something permeates the atmosphere and makes you feel alive in a way that only special events can do. And on a Wednesday in 1980, May 21st to be exact, throngs of audiences gathered in movie theaters all over the world to witness opening night of one of the most anticipated films in the decade. Little did any of them know that George Lucas had a secret waiting for them. One so shocking, most moviegoers wouldn't believe it until years later. One so powerful, it would impact the Star Wars universe and the medium of film for the next 40 years. In fact, decades from now, people will still be talking about it. This is the story of five words that never appeared in a film script, but marked filmmaking forever. This is a look at how the iconic moment came together and how actors and audiences reacted to the revelation. This is the twist that resonated throughout the galaxy. This is the secret of The Empire Strikes Back. And this is Star Wars Prototypes and Production. Will be with you always. 
the first glimpse of the sequel to Star Wars finally arrived in 1979, a year before the film's release. Up to that point, many fans referred to the next film simply as Star Wars 2. But in the two years since the first one ignited a breathless and pulsating fandom, moviegoers yearned for the next chapter in the saga. They pondered and proposed ideas in conversations with friends and colleagues, on playgrounds and in fanzines, and with anyone also captivated by the 1977 film. Star Wars. It melded archetypes and myths of old with the science fiction and fantasy of tomorrow. It was a confluence of a pitch-perfect symphonic score, memorable heroes and steel-hearted villains, lands previously unexplored by cinema, and the newest and most dazzling special effects. And the hopeful story was a beacon of light during the dark times of cinema in the 1970s. Star Wars ended with Princess Leia honoring Luke Skywalker and Han Solo with medals for their valiant attack on the Death Star, and for saving her and the entire army of the Rebellion. But Darth Vader had managed to survive, and was still lurking somewhere in the galaxy, likely planning his revenge on our heroes. But what would be the first sentence of the next chapter of the story? That was the question that plagued fans for years as they waited for the answer. Where would Star Wars creator George Lucas take us? What did he have planned for Luke, Han, Leia, Chewbacca, and C-3PO and R2-D2? And would they be able to stop the evil Lord Vader and the Empire once and for all? In the first half of 1979, the sequel's teaser trailer premiered. Set against a backdrop of John Williams' familiar Star Wars theme and only featuring Ralph McQuarrie's conceptual paintings, the trailer offered a peek, a blur of exciting images, of what was to come. The Empire has been repulsed, but this one defeat will increase its determination to crush the Rebellion once and for all. continuation of the Star Wars saga, the Empire strikes back, and Luke, Han, and Princess Leia must confront its awesome might. In the course of the Odyssey, they travel with their faithful friends, droids, and Wookiees to exotic worlds where they meet new alien creatures and evil machines. between Luke Skywalker and the master of the dark side of the Force, Darth Vader. The trailer highlighted the main characters and introduced a new one, Lando Calrissian. But one key line gave fans a peek at the long-awaited showdown. In a surprising move, Lucas seemingly showed his hand early, a year before the film hit theaters. The trailer's narrator promised a confrontation between Luke and Darth Vader by the film's end. The film also had a name. Star Wars 2 had been the placeholder, 
From that point forward, it would be called The Empire Strikes Back. If you haven't seen The Empire Strikes Back, please do me a favor and press pause on this episode. Take two hours to watch the film. If you know someone who hasn't seen it, invite them over and watch it together. I'm sure you probably know what happens to some degree, simply because it's been embedded in our pop culture references for the past 40 years. You likely have a general idea and may not even realize it. But even if you know what happens... The way it happens is more profound and more magical than you'd imagine. Also, if you have children, do not let someone spoil Empire for them. Watching the Star Wars trilogy has become a rite of passage in the 21st century, and it's something they will never forget. Okay, so here would be a good point to press pause. After this, we're going to cross into some heavy spoiler territory. Enjoy The Empire Strikes Back, and I'll see you when you return. Okay, you're still here? Great. I'm glad you've seen Empire. It's probably my favorite film of all time. And in addition to impacting me in a wonderful way as a child, it has affected how I see the world. In color and in design, in pacing and in storytelling, and in the power of subverting expectations. In the beginning, Luke survives an attack by a creature called a Wampa, and while he's wounded and wandering around in the snow, trying to return to his base, he sees the force ghost of Obi-Wan Kenobi, who tells him to go to the Dagobah system to find Master Yoda. I just threw that in there in case you haven't seen Empire yet. That was a very light spoiler. It's going to get a lot heavier starting now. Still here? Perfect. Here we go. In the continuation of the Star Wars saga, The Empire Strikes Back, coming next year. So the teaser trailer kept its promise. And at the end of The Empire Strikes Back, audiences were treated to a momentous duel between Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. As I mentioned earlier, at the beginning of the film, Obi-Wan directed Luke to travel to Dagobah to find a Jedi Master named Yoda, who would train him in the ways of the Force. The only chance Luke had in defeating Darth Vader would be to become a Jedi himself. But while Luke trained with the diminutive Green Master on the Swamp Planet, Vader set a trap for him. Working with Han Solo's longtime friend Lando Calrissian, Vader captured Han, Leia, Chewbacca, and C-3PO and tortured them. He knew that Luke would feel his friend's pain through the Force and would travel to the Cloud City of Bespin to find them. And Vader would be waiting for him. For Vader wanted to turn Luke to the dark side of the Force, and together they would destroy Vader's master, the Emperor. Together, they would rule the galaxy. Luke, sensing his friends in peril, abandoned his training. Against Yoda's warning, he boarded his X-Wing and flew to Bespin. And finding his way into the bowels of the city in the clouds, he finally came face to face with Darth Vader. 
they ignited their lightsabers and fought among the blue hues and orange tones of the carbon-freezing chamber. The entire time, Vader tested Luke, wearing him down and pushing him to fight with anger and emotion, to succumb to the dark side. Luke was no match for the mighty and imposing Sith Lord, who cast a dark shadow over him, driving him out onto a thin plank that hovered over a wind-ridden abyss. Vader disarmed Luke of his lightsaber, and as Luke crawled out to the edge of the gantry, Vader offered to train him in the dark side of the Force. And then he told Luke something that would shake him to his core. You don't know the truth. Obi-Wan killed your father. At least, those were the words printed in the shooting script. The first Star Wars film ended with a long and grandiose action sequence, culminating with the explosion of the Empire's superweapon, the planet-sized, planet-destroying Death Star. But when George Lucas approached the sequel, he upended the traditional story structure by putting the major battle on Hoth at the beginning of the film. He knew he couldn't top the destruction of the Death Star as a special effects all-star ending. Instead, for The Empire Strikes Back, he composed a climax with an equally powerful but different moment. Lucas chose an intimate sword fight between two polar opposites. But during the battle, one would reveal the bond that connected both of them in a way very few would ever see coming. It would be the emotional shock, the emotional impact at the duel's finale that would rival any action sequence. And it would reverberate throughout theaters. But in order to deliver that gut-punch surprise, it would have to stay a secret until its release. During a presentation with the Writers Guild Foundation, Lawrence Kasdan, co-writer of The Empire Strikes Back, recalled the moment Lucas told him of his intention with the story. You know, when he said that in the sanctity of his office at Skywalker Ranch, um, it was understood that no one was to know this for the next two years. Okay. Right. And that's not so easy on a movie. You right. know, you've seen it. What, oh, yeah. How hard it is to keep secure yeah. anything. And this was a giant thing that the whole world suddenly would, would be interested in. You know, and so it was from that moment on, never mention it, never right. talk about it in public, never say, you know, in the story conferences. You did not reveal that. And when it came to shooting, there were fake pages. And then at the very last second, it was revealed to the actors. After the release of Star Wars, Lucas focused his efforts on establishing his Lucasfilm company and on turning industrial light and magic into a special effects powerhouse. He ceded writing duties for Empire to Lee Brackett. Brackett, known as the Queen of the Space Opera, published a series of science fiction novels, co-wrote the Humphrey Bogart film The Big Sleep with William Faulkner, and served as a mentor to the sci-fi legend Ray Bradbury. She worked on the first draft of the script, but succumbed to cancer only weeks after finishing it. Brackett's death brought Lucas back into the writer's seat. He had worked with Brackett in outlining the major plot points in the film, and most of them made it into the final film, 
albeit in markedly different forms. In Brackett's script, the Battle of Hoth opened the film. Luke and Han competed for Leia's affection as a running subplot, and Luke finished his Jedi training on Dagobah and was knighted by the spirits of Obi-Wan and Luke's father, known then only as Master Skywalker. Yoda trained the young hero, but was initially named Buffy, short for Bundan Debenin. For Brackett's draft, his name was changed to Minch, and Han was not frozen in carbonite, but left the group at the end of the film to find his influential stepfather and to ask him to join the rebellion. But one of the most notable changes occurred in the battle between Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader at the film's climax. Luke managed to keep both of his hands intact, and the duel with Vader carried out onto the gantry over an enormous vent shaft. Vader continually referred to him as Little Jedi, and as he aimed to deliver the final death blow, Luke moved out of the way, throwing Vader off balance. Luke escaped by falling down the vent shaft, riding down a long tube, and landing with a thud on the roof of the Millennium Falcon. And while Brackett established a deep connection through the Force between Luke and Darth Vader, that's as far as their relationship went in that first draft. Left without a writer, Lucas attempted a second draft. He worked on it for a month, finishing it in April of 1978. And it was here where he made the most important change to the script. Lucas took the spirit ghost of Master Skywalker from Brackett's draft and his iconic villain Darth Vader and fused them into one character. He viewed the Star Wars trilogy as a three-act play. After introducing the characters in Star Wars, Empire served as the middle act, in which the characters are put in the worst possible positions. And so, for Luke Skywalker there was no tougher or more shocking position to be in than to find out the evil he faced in that hulking black armor was Anakin Skywalker, his father. Lucas's script built upon Brackett's first draft and fleshed out most of the moments he wanted to appear in the film, but he struggled to pen the dialogue. In the spring of 1978, he contacted writer Lawrence Kasdan, who had been working on the script for Raiders of the Lost Ark, whose story was conceived by Lucas and would be directed by Steven Spielberg. In a 2015 interview with Wired, Kasdan explained how he landed the job of reworking the Empire Strikes Back script. He said, My initial engagement with it was kind of a surprise. I had just taken six months to write Raiders of the Lost Ark from scratch. I handed it in, and George said, Do you want to write Empire Strikes Back? 
Literally, he threw it on the desk and asked me to write Empire. He said, we're in big trouble. Lee Brackett has passed away. They're building sets in England, and I don't have a script. I said, maybe you ought to read Raiders first. He said, I'm going to read it tonight, and if I don't like it, I'll call you back tomorrow and take back this offer. Fortunately for Kasdan and for Star Wars fans, Lucas either liked what he read, or was too desperate to waste time searching for someone else. But he took the fact that he was selected as a green light to push the boundaries of storytelling that would go beyond what Lucas set up in the first film. Kasdan aimed to explore the characters in deeper ways and to shape them with real-life complexities amid a fantasy backdrop. Kasdan also shared his excitement at the potential behind the revelation. He said, George said to me, Darth Vader is Luke's father. I just thought that was the greatest thing I'd ever heard, but that was all George. I thought, oh my God, this story is so much more interesting than what I thought it was. When you bring in the father and the son, you're bringing in things that resonate from real life. He had a broad outline of where he wanted to go, and what was clear from the get-go was that it was the second act of a three-act drama. Kasdan and Lucas wanted to prepare viewers for the big reveal, to give it weight and to build to it in a realistic and organic way. Together, they planted moments in the script that would foreshadow Vader's declaration. In the film, as the Empire's fleet hunts the Millennium Falcon, Admiral Piet enters Vader's chamber and witnesses the black helmet lowering onto the Dark Lord's head. Piet sees Vader from behind, and through the openings in the chamber, is able to make out the back of his scarred and very human head. After years of fans speculating that he was some kind of android or machine-carved monster, seeing Darth Vader as human quietly sets up the idea that there's more to him and that he could be Luke's father. I want that ship, not excuses. And in a scene on Dagobah, while Luke is training with Master Yoda, he encounters a cave that Yoda describes as strong with the dark side of the Force. Inside the cave, Darth Vader appears, ignites his saber, and battles Luke. This not only foreshadows the battle that is to come, but the connection that Luke has to Vader. The apparition of Vader, brought to life by the dark side, is quickly defeated as Luke parries Vader's attacks and decapitates the Sith Lord with one swing of his saber. The shadow-like helmet explodes, revealing the face of Luke. Although it was only a manifestation of Luke's fears in the form of Darth Vader, it served as a warning to Luke about the confrontation leading to his own destruction. It also slyly hinted at the idea of a Skywalker potentially living inside that armor. The way Kasdan handled Vader throughout the film changed as well. And for viewers, the rhythms were different on a subconscious level, in order for us to feel this shift. The Vader introduced in Star Wars was much different than the version presented in this one. 
In the first film, he was a cold, calculated assassin, bent on destroying the Rebellion and his former master, Obi-Wan Kenobi. In Empire, his tone changes. The rebels keep slipping through his fingers, and Vader grows increasingly frustrated. Kasdan uses Vader's frustration as a device for humor, as he disposes of each admiral who fails him by choking them, and promotes the next one, pale-faced and panicked, on the spot. But when Vader fights Luke on Bespin, he does not act like the typical bad guy, and there's no hint of the earlier humor in any of those scenes. And as an audience, what we're watching is different than what we feel in that moment. Although he attacks Luke relentlessly, we see he is testing him and wearing him down at the same time. He is learning who Luke is through their confrontation. And once he has defeated Luke, the human side of Vader emerges and makes a very human plea to his son. Certainly a misguided and distorted one, but a human plea nonetheless. And Kasdan used the conversation between Vader and the Emperor earlier in the film to make the reveal all the more shocking. During the interaction between the two villains, Kasdan sneakily established Luke Skywalker's father as a mysterious entity, someone seemingly of the past and far removed from the story. What is thy bidding, my master? There is a great disturbance in the Force. I have felt it. We have a new enemy, Luke Skywalker. Yes, my master. He could destroy us. He's just a boy. Obi-Wan can no longer help him. The Force is strong with him. The son of Skywalker must not become a Jedi. If he could be turned, he would become a powerful ally. Yes. Yes. He would be a great asset. Can it be done? He will join us or die, Master. Kasdan completed the script by the end of the summer of 1978. At that time, he had supplied the necessary flesh and muscle to what he described as Lucas's skeleton of a first draft. And with the knowledge that Darth Vader would announce he was Luke Skywalker's father, Kasdan created a secret page to the script that would be inserted at the last moment. Here is an early version of that page. Luke's sword whistles past Vader, and the young warrior is thrown off balance, his guard down. Vader's lightsaber flashes out with deadly skill and cuts Luke's arm off at the elbow. Luke's forearm flies away in the wind as the boy himself almost goes over the edge. He can barely stand. He wipes away tears and blood from his eyes, but can still barely focus on his massive opponent. Vader says, Search your feelings, my son. You will know it to be true. Come, join your father. Luke is horror-stricken, bewildered. Later, the scene changed as Luke lost his hand instead of his entire forearm. And Vader's admission was much more direct. But in order for the reveal to land with audiences, for it to present itself with chilling effect, there had to be the danger that Luke could follow in Vader's footsteps. 
Kasdan said, When George and I were writing the script, one of the major conceits of the trilogy is that over the course of the second act of this three-act structure, that Luke would not only discover this devastating thing about his past, but will see in him those qualities that could go the wrong way. So when he loses his arm, it leads to the next scene where he becomes starting to become literally like a machine, like his father. Kasdan had penned the scene, and the script was quickly coming together. Its success would depend heavily on the director's vision for the film. Director Irvin Kirshner was hired to transform Lucas's and Brackett's ideas and Kasdan's words into the visual medium of film. As the director of The Empire Strikes Back, he was pulled into the tiny circle that knew the film's main secret. Empire was Kirshner's first blockbuster film, and it propelled the director to dig deep into the script to find the heart of the story. And once he figured it out, he began to chart a path for the film. The story line was much more difficult. I felt I needed humor in the picture, and yet I couldn't have gags. I felt I needed a love story, and yet I couldn't have a lot of smooching and kissing and all that stuff, and it had to all be more implied. I knew I needed something powerful going on inside Luke's soul. And he really carries the picture, of course. Luke was the soul of The Empire Strikes Back. And the reveal at the climax of the film would add an unforeseen complexity to his hero's journey. As Screen Rant's Thomas Bacon so eloquently put it, where a new hope is a Campbellian hero's journey writ large, The Empire Strikes Back makes the story infinitely more personal. It turns Star Wars into a tale of intergenerational conflict, creating opportunities for transcendent themes of redemption and reconciliation. In other words, Empire's climax raised the stakes of Luke's personal journey, because he was not only finding himself, but was determined to battle the darkness and eventually save his father and restore him to the side of light. Let's join Kirshner on set and explore the moment of shooting the scene. Picture this. The Bespin Gantry. That's the thin bridge onto which Luke crawls to escape the relentless attack from Darth Vader. In the script, it hovers over a seemingly endless reactor shaft within the cloud city of Bespin. In actuality, it sat somewhere between six and ten feet off the ground, and below the actors, quilted mattresses cover the floor in case someone fell accidentally or purposefully. Irving Kirshner stood behind the camera operator, who was off to the side of David Prowse, the actor who portrayed Darth Vader. There were a handful of people on the set, ones responsible for lighting and effects and capturing the scene on film. Luke Skywalker was lying on his back, facing his adversary as the two locked their glowing blades. Luke pushed Vader's red saber aside long enough to get back onto his feet and to deliver a strike that cut into the side of Vader's shoulder. 
Vader swung at Luke, slicing through a three-pronged instrument complex at the entrance to the gantry. He then blocked Luke's saber by spinning with a fighter's flourish, leaving Luke's arm exposed. And with a swift motion, he cut Luke's hand at the wrist, flinging it and the saber it held into the abyss. There's no escape. Don't make me destroy you. Wind Machine spit steady bursts of movement through Luke's hair and jumpsuit and caused Vader's cape to billow, adding to the vast intensity of the moment. But as Mark Hamill later remarked, the deafening roar of the wind rendered all dialogue useless. In a dialogue-heavy sequence, actors generally will react and respond to the last line delivered, often reading the subtleties of one's facial expressions. But in this case, Hamill spoke his lines based on Prowse's gestures. For the man in the mask was by nature using other parts of his body to convey emotions covered by the mask itself. All of the lines between them, the ones delivered with angst and intensity, would be dubbed in later during post-production. Kirshner explained how he choreographed Vader's delivery and maintained the secret of the scene. I gave him his gestures. I want you to turn, I want you to move your head, I want you to put your left arm out, I want you to put your right arm out. At these points, you see, in the script that he had, I had worked it out so it was like choreographed for his arm movements and head movements, and you'll see it. Mark reacted to it, but he never heard it. He knew it was in the script, you see. And so he reacted to it beautifully, but this was a secret. David Prowse's script for The Empire Strikes Back sold at auction for $32,000 in May of 2021. This historic document was marked with the name Vader at the top of each page, and later gave Star Wars fans insight into how the scene was presented to the cast. It also gives us an idea of how the scene would have played out without the big reveal. Vader says, There is no escape. Don't make me destroy you. The Emperor is strong with the Force, but the Force runs strong in the Skywalker line, and together we will overthrow him. I will complete your training, and we will rule the Empire as equals. He then puts his sword away and extended his hand to Luke. Luke shouts, No! No! And Vader says, Luke. We will be the most powerful in the galaxy. You will have everything you could ever want. Do not resist. It is your destiny. And at that point, Luke resigns himself to the fact that he would rather die than join the Dark Lord. And he throws himself from the gantry and falls down the shaft. The scene is still powerful in its own right. But knowing what we know now, it comes nowhere near what eventually made it to the silver screen. When it came time to film the scene, Kirshner had David Prowse deliver a different line. Kirshner told Prowse to say, You don't know the truth. Obi-Wan killed your father. When Hamill found out what this new line would be, he was rather impressed. He said, I thought, wow, Alec Guinness, this icon of virtue, is secretly a villain? That's a great twist. I didn't see that coming. 
but moments before he was to deliver his reaction on film, Kirshner told him the real secret of The Empire Strikes Back. Here is Mark Hamill on finding out Lucas's true intention for Luke and Vader. Uh, the director, Irvin Kershner, uh, took me aside. He came to my dressing room, actually, and he said, uh, I'm going to tell you something. I know it. George Lucas knows it. And when I tell you, you'll know it. But if it leaks, we'll know it was you. <laughs> so I said, what, what? And he handed me the piece of paper that said, I am your father. I was shocked. I said, is, is that, is that true? He said, well, you search your feelings and we're going to play it like that. <laughs> Hamill also remarked that the reveal was so primal that nothing could top the impact of Darth Vader, the embodiment of evil, being your father. He was also bound to secrecy and had to keep that secret intact for over a year as The Empire Strikes Back would not be released until May of 1980. Imagine knowing something like that and having to hold it in for so long. Something that wouldn't just shake audiences for the moment, but would upend everything in its path for years to come. And you, one of the lucky few to know what actually happens, had to fold it up, tuck it into a box, and lock it, and then bury it in the back corner of your closet. You'd be hyper-conscious of everything you said for a year. That every casual conversation with friends and acquaintances would be a test. Every interview could be the moment you failed George Lucas and the Lucasfilm team, including your fellow cast and crew members. Every time you muttered something in public or even spoke in your sleep, you were afraid it would leak from the corners of your mouth and that the person who heard it would project it all over the world. Weeks after filming, the scene did leak to a British tabloid. But it was the fake twist that Obi-Wan killed Luke's father, and not the real twist that made the news. Reflecting on it, Hamill said, These newspapers were offering £20,000 notes for anybody that got a good Star Wars leak. We couldn't even keep the fake twist a secret for a week. I was secretly delighted. The list of people who knew still remains small by this point. It consisted of Lucas, the story's creator, Kasdan, its author, Kirshner, its director, and Hamill, the on-screen recipient of the shocking news. And then it came time to tell Darth Vader, or at least the person supplying his voice. While David Prowse gave us the physical presence of Darth Vader on screen, it was the deep mechanical boom of James Earl Jones's tone that gave us Vader's terrifying sound. And during post-production, Jones, like Hamill, was pulled aside and was given the real lines of the scene that would appear in the movie's climax. Part of the reason the reveal was kept a secret for so long was that it was never captured on film as the scene was being shot. The correct words never came out of an actor's mouth that day. No one could even hear what Vader was saying on set. Only Luke's reaction to the news was evident in that moment, and only Hamill's Luke knew what Vader would actually say to him on screen. The key to the entire scene was Vader's mask. In this sense, Vader's face, and more importantly his mouth, 
was covered. So Lucas, Kasdan, and Kirshner knew that they could continue to keep the reveal a secret while shooting the film. Months later, during post-production, they would have James Earl Jones dub in Vader's real lines, and no one else had to know the truth. Years after Empire premiered, film critic Leonard Maltin asked Lucas about the reaction to the line. What kind of feedback did you get to that incredible climactic scene in Empire when we all learn who Darth Vader really is? I was nervous about it, but in the end I didn't get much of a reaction out of it. I mean, people you know, were curious about whether it was true or not, and I purposely left it so that it would be ambiguous, so that... Uh, you wouldn't really know, and people would sort of debate it for the next week. Again, I had two more years or more to... Um, you know, I wanted people to sort of debate whether it's true or not true or like sort of thing. And in an interview with the British film magazine Empire, Lucas added, I conceived it so that you would not know if Vader was lying or telling the truth. You have to have an escape hatch for kids psychologically so they can deny it. And James Earl Jones sought that escape hatch as well. When I first saw the dialogue that said, Luke, I am your father, I said to myself, he's lying. I wonder how they're going to play that lie out. Lucas put careful thought into crafting the reveal. After all, Star Wars was created for audiences of all ages, especially for children. And he wanted to make sure its mental and emotional impact would not be harmful to his audience. I was very concerned about this ending, especially in terms of children and whether they'd be able to manage it. You know, he cuts his hand off, which is very symbolic. And what a young boy would think about this if he had to deal with it, and there's no resolution to it. But I talked to a number of psychologists who basically said that most kids, if it's too intense for them, will simply deny that it's true, that it, deny that he is his father, thinks he's just lying to him. And most of them said cutting the hand off wouldn't be a problem because he gets a new hand at the end. But those are the kind of things you consider when you're going through a story like this, especially since you know a lot of people are going to see it. What is the potential to you know, cause damage? Whether you've watched Empire recently, or if you haven't seen it since it left theaters in the early 80s, here is how the finalized sequence played out to pack theater houses in 1980. If you're able to do so, close your eyes, and while you're listening to it, try to remember the impact of seeing it on the big screen for the first time. You are beaten. It is useless to resist. Don't let yourself be destroyed as Obi-Wan did. destructive conflict and bring order to the galaxy. 
I'll never join you. If you only knew the power of the dark side, Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No. I am your father. According to George Lucas, by the film's premiere on May 21st, 1980, only a dozen people knew what Darth Vader would actually say to Luke Skywalker on that gantry during the film's climax. In addition to Lucas, Kasdan, Kirshner, Hamill, and Jones, sound designer Ben Burt and some of the film's mixers and editors were added to the circle of secrecy. And the film's cast learned of the twist at the premiere as well. Mark Hamill recalled the reaction of the friend sitting next to him, Han Solo actor Harrison Ford. So at the screening, when that happened, Harrison turned to me and said, Hey, kid, you didn't f***ing tell me that. (laughs) I apologize for the F-bomb. I only used it for historical accuracy. (laughs) Another actor in the audience that night was David Prowse who played the physical form of Darth Vader in the film. It surprised me, actually, because I didn't know anything about it until I was sat in the cinema last Saturday, and, I, and that was the first I knew of it. And yeah. what did you do? <laughs> Practically collapsed in the seat. Yes. <laughs> However, and this is where it gets truly interesting, two years before that interview and before the premiere... Prowse ignited a conversation among the most ardent fans when he made a public claim linking Luke and Vader as father and son. How was this possible? A few weeks ago, I was trying to figure out what the next episode of the podcast would be. Usually I have a string of potential episodes, and I pluck the one that speaks to me the loudest from that list. It was the first time I lacked a true direction, though. But I knew I had wanted to dive into the films in some way. To highlight something that the spotlight tended to miss. To explore something unfamiliar to me. Something exciting and wholly Star Wars. So I started to flip through a number of the resources I've collected that cover 40 years of Star Wars stories. During room sales at the 2019 Star Wars Celebration Convention in Chicago, a collector and dear friend named Eric Janicki gifted me with a vintage fanzine. 
Fanzines were amateur magazines which allowed fans to dive deeper into a particular subject, like Star Wars. It gave fans a chance to speculate on what was to come for the franchise, and to connect with other fans through the content. It was the closest thing to an internet forum or a social media space before the technology existed. This particular fanzine was called Against the Sith, and was started by two sisters from their home in Oregon. In addition to a hand-drawn image of Luke on the cover, the issue was packed with editorials from the sisters, letters from Star Wars fans, reviews of the holiday special, imaginative fan-submitted fiction continuing the saga, and Vader and Kenobi-themed poetry on the magazine's final page. As I sat on the floor of my room and flipped through the fanzine's pages, a paragraph from the forum section caught my attention. Candace Wiggins from Pickens, South Carolina wrote, Did I understand you correctly? Luke may turn out to be Vader's, ahem, child? Pam and I give a resounding no. They may have toyed with the idea, but it'd contradict all info given in Star Wars. And then she added this, Actually, they were going to film the sequence of Vader killing Skywalker and then being mutilated upon his, again, <clears throat> accident during his duel with Obi-Wan. Alas, they didn't have the time, but Lucas had said several times he's interested in giving that story, if not as a background or flashback in one of the sequels, then as an entire movie in itself. It would be called The Clone Wars. I wish they'd do it. I think it would be a colossal story, achievement, whatever. Candace continued with her defense against Vader being Luke's father, but my eyes jumped to the top of the page. The introduction to the forum read, These are the responses to an editor's note in issue number two, inviting readers to give their opinions on the possibility of Darth Vader being Luke's father. Rebecca Greenberg from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania initiated the conversation. In her letter, she wrote, Despite Dave Prowse supposedly having the inside track as to the outcome of the confrontation between Luke and Darth, I absolutely disagree with his statement that Darth will be revealed as Luke's father. I sat, stunned at the text in front of me. It was future insight embedded into the imaginative speculation of the past. Knowing too much and yet not enough. I flipped to the front of the fanzine and checked the publication date. January 1979. The issue was likely compiled and produced at the end of 1978, approximately a year and a half before The Empire Strikes Back was released. Again, there was no internet. News traveled much more slowly back then. More like a hot air balloon's drift than today's Wi-Fi Autobahn. The reveal that Darth Vader was Luke's father had been one of cinema's biggest secrets, one of its most defining twists. And yet somehow, in 1978, among a small gathering, fans were discussing its unlikely probability as a story point in the future sequel. In 1978. And to top it all off, Dave Prowse, Darth Vader himself was the source of the leak that sparked these conversations. A year and a half before it reached theaters, and before the film even had an official title. 
Immediately, my curiosity was piqued, as I knew I had to explore how Empire's reveal reached audiences, and whether it had truly remained a secret. So Eric, thank you for your gift. As you can see, or more accurately here, I'm putting it to good use. Let's find out how much Prowse actually knew. In the summer of 1978, as the script was approaching its third draft, David Prowse made an appearance at a store in Berkeley, California, as part of a promotional West Coast tour. Prowse signed autographs and posed for photos with fans who wanted to meet Darth Vader in person. He told the crowd two major points about the upcoming Star Wars sequel, that filming would begin in February of 1979 and that the movie would be released in May of 1980. But he promised the third film would follow shortly after the second. A young fan's mother saved local newspaper clips that mentioned the franchise including one that highlighted Prowse's visit to the Bay Area. And fortunately, for all of us, the fans saved the article and shared it online. Titled, May the Sequel Be With You, the end of the San Francisco Examiner article captured an interesting moment from Prowse's store appearance. It said, Prowse offered a glimpse of a possible plot for the second sequel, Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker, the young hero in the first film played by Mark Hamill, are hooked up in a do-or-die lightsaber duel when Luke learns that Darth is, in fact, his long-lost father. Father can't kill son, son can't kill father, Prowse said. So they live again to star in Star Wars 4. And the crowd apparently responded with wild cheers. Reading the article for the first time, it certainly appears that Prowse had prior knowledge of Lucas's intention, and was proudly proclaiming it to the general public. But this was really either a guess or a joke on Prowse's part. First, the script was still in the process of being written, and only Lucas, Kasdan, and possibly Kirshner knew about the reveal at the time. Second, the article mentioned that Prowse's suggestion of a possible plot was for the second sequel, which would be the third film in the series. He was likely stirring up excitement within the crowd by pointing to what every fan assumed would happen by the end of the series, the inevitable lightsaber battle between Luke and Vader, the hero and the villain. And Luke finding out that Darth Vader is his long-lost father was an unbelievable twist, especially to an audience that had only seen the first film thus far. Prowse was likely throwing out the idea as a way to keep both characters alive, leading to a fourth film and extending his role as Hollywood's favorite antagonist. But then there's this. It exists, and yet there's no explanation as to why or how it exists. But it's fascinating nonetheless. In April of 1978, a year after Star Wars premiered and months before Prowse's Berkeley appearance, the actor mentioned the idea in a fanzine called Little Shop of Horrors. Prowse said, In the film, Alec Guinness goes to great lengths to explain to poor Luke how his father had been killed by Darth Vader. 
Luke's father was killed by Darth Vader, right? And how Darth Vader turned to evil, etc., etc. His father was good, and all this sort of thing. In the next film, there is going to be a confrontation between Luke and Darth Vader, and then they discover that Darth Vader never killed his father, that Darth Vader is his father. So son can't kill father, and father can't kill son. So Darth Vader lives until the next sequel. The quote reads as someone analyzing the film and imagining the backstory of the character he portrayed. Maybe he was fleshing out Vader in his mind during filming downtime, or daydreaming about the Dark Lord's origins and where the next film would take him. During his time as Vader, Prow shared many ideas about future story beats that turned out to be false. For example, he announced to Starlog magazine in 1979 that Boba Fett would kill off Han Solo during a sequel battle. Whether it was to garner attention, to play with fans' expectations, or to share things he believed to be true, Prowse found a way to get his thoughts into print. But somehow, he got the Vader reveal exactly right, before anyone else even imagined it. And yet, maybe Prowse's suggestion started out as a joke, but in a much different way. The idea that Vader and Luke were connected may have actually come from a friend. During the course of my research, I stumbled upon an online forum discussion from 2014 on the website Science Fiction and Fantasy Stack Exchange. Users could post questions pertaining to the genre, and sci-fi and fantasy enthusiasts would weigh in and would provide information such as quotes and links to articles and videos when possible. Someone inquired about Dave Prowse's knowledge of the reveal and how he had seemingly divulged it two years before the release of Empire. Over the next few years, fans chimed in on this page to share their thoughts and came to a similar conclusion, that Prowse had simply guessed what the reveal would be, and was correct, even though he found out the truth during the premiere screening with the rest of the cast in 1980. Four years after the discussion began on the Stack Exchange page, a commenter named Sharon A. Fox ended the thread with her unique insight. In her post, she said, I can tell you this. Dave Prowse was a constant houseguest of mine when he visited Marin to have meetings with George Lucas. I was living with my ex, Hal, at the time, and Dave loved to come to town and stay with us because Dave and my Hal shared a bromance and a giant interest in photography. The day Dave returned from a meeting with George Lucas, Hal and I sat down to have dinner with Dave, and we asked him how his meeting with George went. Dave was in a minor shock. He shared with us that George had the meeting with him to find out if Dave would be interested in signing on to do a sequel to Star Wars. This was the first any of us had heard about any kind of idea about a sequel to Star Wars. I turned to Dave and joked that in the sequel, we will probably find out that Darth Vader is Luke's father. At the moment I made the joke, all the hairs on my arms stood up and I showed this to Dave. I said that the goosebumps and hairs standing on their end proved that the words I just spoke, that were intended to be a joke, were actually true. Dave laughed it off and did not put any weight on my insistence that Darth was Luke's father. 
Even after The Empire Strikes Back, Dave insisted that the words I spoke were not true. Because he had just wrapped up the second Star Wars, and he was not given the script that revealed the truth. It is true that he was given an alternate script and did not know that Darth was in actuality Luke's father until the film hit theaters. I had not seen this admission anywhere other than on the Stack Exchange page, and nobody commented further after Fox's post in 2018. I was hesitant to include it, and for the longest time, Fox's post hung over my head, like a rain cloud that would never burst. A few days ago, however, I finally decided to figure out who this Sharon A. Fox really was, and looked up her name. On her LinkedIn page, under Experiences, it said Fox was a producer of the 1978 live television show, The Man Behind the Mask, which was an hour-long interview with Prowse about his role in Star Wars and featured a call-in segment. She was a friend of Prowse and worked with him during the time in which he played Darth Vader on screen. So it's very likely that what Fox suggested that day, first in jest, and then as a chill-inducing prediction, stayed in Prowse's mind. And while he didn't believe it would come to fruition in the film series, it was an idea he joked about in public, finding humor in it as a way to extend his character's role. For the only way to save Vader was to make him Luke's father. And in Prowse's own words, Son can't kill father. Father can't kill son. So Vader lives until the next sequel. His belief that it wasn't true was confirmed when he finally had the Empire script and filmed his part. Therefore, he was rightly surprised to hear James Earl Jones say the words, No, I am your father on the night of the premiere. And for the man who played Vader, it was the ultimate shock and the ultimate reveal. And one of my favorite reactions to the line came from Prowse himself. In an interview with the Hull Daily Mail, the actor said, when I went to see the movie, I suddenly discovered I was Luke's father. The Empire Strikes Back is considered by many fans as the best Star Wars film in the saga, and it has become one of the most revered movies in cinema history. When it premiered, however, it received mixed reviews from critics and from audiences. The anticipation for the sequel was almost unquenchable, especially coming off of a three-year wait. Plus, many felt that the first film was a full story by itself with a satisfying conclusion. Empire, on the other hand, left the state of the galaxy in complete disarray by its end. Our heroes had been beaten. Han Solo was frozen in carbonite and was on his way to Jabba the Hutt. Luke lost his hand and the battle with Darth Vader, and Vader revealed himself to be Luke's father. It was the dark second act in a three-act play whose installments came every three years. And for some, it was both too much and not enough. But the secret had managed to remain a secret until the premiere. While audiences were shocked to learn about Luke's relationship to Vader, 
Many simply did not believe Vader's admission. In a Reddit post about the film, theatergoers shared their memories of hearing Vader's I am your father line for the first time. One commenter said, Word didn't really spread that quickly. There was no internet after all. There were kids I went to school with who months later still didn't know. People are a lot kinder about spreading spoilers in person. Another recounted, I don't remember the theater. I do remember not believing what I was seeing and hearing on the screen. But the twist of Darth being Luke's father wasn't that big because I simply did not believe it. The ending with the heroes not obviously winning was more of a shock. Think about the last part of the movie. Han Solo was already dead or in carbonite. Luke had just had his hand cut off, and now Darth Vader is trying to con Luke that Darth is his father. I couldn't believe it. Darth Vader had to be lying, simple as that. This was too much tragedy for a nine-year-old little kid to take in. The heroes are supposed to win. This wasn't a victory. How could any of this be happening? And a third said, Of course a big part of me didn't want to believe it. Honestly, for a ten-year-old Star Wars fan, that's a lot to take in. The worst villain of all time is actually the father of the best hero of all time? Impossible. Nowadays, kids are so jaded and used to twists like this. It's hard to impress them. It took me quite a while to absorb and accept it. And even during Return of the Jedi, I was secretly hoping it would be confirmed by Yoda or Obi-Wan as false. And George Lucas brought Yoda and Obi-Wan back for a final scene on Dagobah in 1983's Return of the Jedi for that exact reason. To unequivocally confirm what Vader said to be true. There was a generation that refused to believe Vader was Luke's father. And Lucas felt those viewers needed to hear it from characters they loved and trusted. So in the trilogy's final film, Yoda admitted to Luke and to the audience that Vader's reveal was an honest one. Master Yoda, is Darth Vader my father? Arrest thy maid. Yes. Rest. Yoda, I must know. Your father is. Told you, did he? Yes. Unexpected. And after Yoda's passing, Obi-Wan clarified what he had originally told Luke in the first film. Why didn't you tell me? You told me Vader betrayed and murdered my father. Your father was seduced by the dark side of the Force. He ceased to be Anakin Skywalker and became Darth Vader. When that happened, the good man who was your father was destroyed. So what I told you was true, from a certain point of view.
George Lucas had managed to keep the reveal a secret against careless tongues, prying tabloids, and a ravenous fanbase yearning for answers. But it was his own company who put the reveal out for public consumption, a month before the film was released. The Empire Strikes Back premiered on May 21st, but the novelization of the movie hit bookstores across the country on April 12th. Lucasfilm's authorization of the book's early release was a dangerous move, especially as Lucas and company worked so hard to keep its own cast and crew in the dark about the film's twist. Jason Fry, author and contributor to the Star Wars website, recalled how reading the book affected his experience with the film. He said, Empire's big secret held, at least among my friends, until I bought the Donald F. Glutt novelization about two weeks before the movie came out. There it was, right on page 198, ruining everything. Fortunately, the majority of the movie-going public avoided the novelization, or were completely unaware of its existence before seeing the film. Again, and I think this is such a crucial point, without the internet, the flow of news was much more controlled, and traveled at an immensely slower pace. The book's release may have been a slower one than we're accustomed to today, and April 12th may have been the starting point that took weeks to fill shelves in each city. But creating an environment of secrecy for years, and then lining every bookstore in America with what was essentially an advanced script was a baffling move. The novelization went on to sell two million copies. The week after The Empire Strikes Back arrived in theaters. What an ending! Who'd have thought Darth Vader was Luke Skywalker's father? Ah, thank you! Oh, thank you, Mr. Blow the Picture for me! Today, Darth Vader's admission to Luke Skywalker is considered one of the best reveals in cinema history. In a 2014 interview with Empire Magazine, Lucas was asked if he could imagine keeping a film secret like that quiet in the 21st century. Lucas responded, No. It was pretty remarkable we pulled it off then. It was without the internet, but it was still extremely intense in terms of the fans. Literally, I didn't tell anybody. Even the producer didn't know. It wasn't until James Earl Jones came on during the finishing of the movie that it was revealed what he was actually saying there. We expected it to leak then, but it didn't. It made it through the sound mix where the group widened. Then... Everybody came out of the first screening and said, He's his father. Personally, I think it was one of the last real reveals. Now, you can't do it. But Lucas and his team had done it. They had established a beautiful and profound story. One that was action-packed and yet contained heart and humor. One that raised the stakes of a typical science fiction film to become one of the greatest film epics of all time. 
As the Empire Strikes Back approached its 40th anniversary, Lawrence Kasdan shared what he thought made the reveal work. He said, All this energy and all this storytelling that preceded it was aimed at this tiny spot. It's like if you were trying to get to Mars and you were one degree off, you wouldn't get there. That's what the scene was like for all of us. How do we get there at the perfect time, the perfect place, and have it just absolutely blow people's minds? It was just extraordinary the size of the picture and the expectations people had for it. The filmmakers are focused the entire time on this one revelation, which we not only want to pull off in the best way possible, but we want to keep it hidden from the world to the release. And Mark Hamill captured what made that moment and all of Empire truly exciting and truly memorable. When I read the script, it was so unexpected. Usually when you do a sequel, they want to just repeat the experience. And, you know, that would mean that the second film would end with exhilaration and triumph. It was so daring. I don't think we were ever able to be that surprising again because it was deeper, it was more cerebral, it was more spiritual. The fact that we faced defeat at the end. And that surprise hinged on five words. No, I am your father. So that is the story behind one of the most iconic and shocking lines in movie history. Did you know it's often one of the most misquoted lines as well? For decades, fans, films, and television shows have mimicked James Earl Jones' rumbling register, but most times they've delivered the line as, Luke, I am your father. I think this pop culture change to the line, replacing the word no with Luke, happened as a way to better contextualize it. Saying, no, I am your father, feels like the punchline is there, but the setup is missing. Because Vader was originally responding to what Luke said. Instead, as soon as someone hears the name Luke in that deep tone, they immediately know what to expect. It's a type of shorthand that prepares a listener for a shared acknowledgement of the memorable Star Wars line. Thank you for listening to this episode of Star Wars Prototypes and Production, and for diving deep into the secret of The Empire Strikes Back with me. This has been one of my all-time favorite episodes to create, and I learned so much about the making of the film, how the reveal stayed a secret, how it was received, and the story behind Dave Prowse's seemingly accurate prediction two years before the film premiered. The evening I decided to do this episode, I stayed up until one o'clock in the morning, devouring as much information as I could, and fell deeper and deeper down the proverbial rabbit hole. Every revelation opened a door for three others and gave me more questions to ponder. I would lie in bed at night, arranging and rearranging the story in my head. And when a new idea would hit me, I'd fling the covers off of me and would jot it down on my phone or laptop so I wouldn't forget it by the morning. Again, a thank you to Eric Janicki, who kindly gifted me issue number three of the Against the Sith fanzine, simply because he enjoyed my first podcast episode about my connection to Luke Skywalker 
and an image of Luke was on the cover of this particular fanzine. And also, he's just a really thoughtful and kind friend, and does wonderful things like that for others all the time. Eric, you're the reason this episode exists. Thank you, my friend. My hope is that when you reflect on your favorite podcast episodes of the year, that this one might make your list. As Star Wars fans, there's nothing more exciting and more enjoyable than to explore a part of the galaxy George Lucas created. To see how it came together through hard work, boundless creativity, movie magic, and a touch of the Force. And for me, growing up in the time of the original trilogy, The Empire Strikes Back certainly ignited my imagination, and that spark has never diminished. If this episode captured an ounce of that for you, please subscribe or follow the show on your preferred podcast platform. It's free to do so, and this way you'll know as soon as the next episode drops. And if you like the podcast, please share it with a friend, and please leave a review. Did you know that Lucas's original, original line for the reveal was, Luke, please leave a review. I can't prove that, but hey, Lucas has always been a visionary, and maybe he knew how important reviews would be for podcasters in the 21st century. But actually, leaving a review of this podcast would help me immensely. These reviews not only help to give listeners an idea of what the podcast is like, but it also serves as a good indicator as to whether it would be worth their time as well. And on top of that, it also helps algorithm-based platforms like Apple Podcasts to recommend prototypes and production to people interested in finding new audio shows. And if you enjoyed this one, it's likely another Star Wars fan may enjoy it as well. Star Wars Prototypes and Production just hit another milestone recently. It has now reached six of the seven continents and has listeners spanning 50 countries. When I recorded my first episode, I honestly didn't know if anyone would listen. But I endeavored to deliver the best stories I could with a listening experience that would be both connective and worthy of someone's time. And maybe this is just in my mind, but I feel like this episode reached a new level of what I can do with the medium. And I hope you'll tune in for whatever comes next. See you next time on Star Wars Prototypes and Production.